right. Good morning again, everybody. Thank you so much for making the commitment to come to church. Those of you watching online, those in our home church locations, we are glad that you are tuning in as well. We're actually in part three of a series of messages called Ghost Writing and Pen Names. It's a study in a book of your Bible called Mark, and I believe it still has tremendous impact on your life today. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab it. Meet me in Mark chapter 3. While you're getting there, prepare yourself mentally for a message that I am calling when Jesus seems crazy. Uh, you've maybe been there if you've served, uh, followed Jesus long enough, if you've lived long enough. There will at some point be a time in your life where you're like, this is crazy. I can't believe we're doing this. And when you do feel that, you'll be in good company. Nearly everybody has thought that to themselves at one point, including Jesus' own family. They thought he was crazy. You can check it out, Mark chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. Says, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Too many people to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Drop down to verse 31. Jesus has a conversation with some Pharisees there. You can read it on your own. If you got any questions, let me know. But then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in Scripture. We're asking you now to do what only you can do and speak to our hearts. Give us uh, eyes to see. Give us attentive spirits. Transform us into the image of your Son. Thank you for adopting us into your family. We are your sons and daughters, and we're longing to hear from you as our dad. Speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Ignaz Simmelweis. You've likely never heard of him, old Ignaz, but in today's world, he would be the most popular man on the planet. See, he was the one who introduced the idea of washing your hands to avoid fever. Pretty relevant today, but back in the mid-1800s, when he proposed this idea of germ theory, he was largely heralded as a quack. Washing your hands, it's a ridiculous idea. Hands don't even look dirty. Why would we need to wash them? But despite the fact that the death rates plummeted in the hospital he was in charge of, he was forcefully committed to an insane asylum, 14 days later died from the injuries that he suffered at the hands of the guards who were supposed to be keeping him safe. Once his hospital was back running appropriately, the death rate skyrocketed 600% 
because nobody was washing their hands anymore, except nobody cared. That's just the way things were. Bad air, you know, kills people. I wasn't until decades later when Louis Pasteur, who you've heard of, and Joseph Lister, the man responsible for Listerine, who you've also heard of, that they proved uh, Ignace's germ theories as right, and he was posthumously vindicated. But I bring this to your attention because crazy ideas often culminate in life-changing results. Take, for example, the idea of the earth being round. That was revolutionary in the day, or, or the fact that it orbits the sun, not the other way around. People were literally burned alive for claiming that the earth was not flat. Think about the airplane, the internet, the four-minute mile. All of these were, in their day, ludicrous impractical, dare I even say dangerous ideas. And here we have a text where Jesus is described as mentally unstable. He's crazy. So crazy, in fact, that his family is like, we better go get this fool, have him committed. He and Ignaz can, you know, spend some time with Nurse Ratchet there at the Oregon State Hospital. If you're under 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but jot this down. Then let's chat. You can think Jesus is crazy and still serve him faithfully. You can think Jesus is crazy and still serve him faithfully. Consider this. The very foundation of our faith is rather illogical when you put it in perspective. We believe that the God of the universe came to the earth in the form of a human baby, the born miraculously to a woman who had never been with a man. For 30 years, he did nothing of any significance until uh, being raised, as you and I would have been raised, until one day he steps into his synagogue, unrolls a scroll, and says that I am the Messiah, the perfect Lamb of God. And then he spends the next three years of his life trying to prove that fact. Ultimately, he gets executed, yet three days later, he raises from the dead, only to be taken 40 days after that into heaven, where he is awaiting the command from his Father to return back to earth, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is in fact Lord of all. In the infamous words of the theologian Olaf, the snowman, that's crazy, yet that's what we believe. That's the foundation of our faith. And like I said, when you're crazy, you're in good company. Because we see here that Mary thought Jesus was out of his mind. Talk about crazy. Mary, an angel visited you as a teenager and said that you were going to give birth to the Son of God. You responded by asking, how's that going to work? I've never been with a man. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and catch this. That all happens. And even still, Mary is like, well, I don't know. He's got this whole crowd around him and preaching and whatnot. And so Mary tells Jesus' brothers and sisters, we better go take charge of this fool, have him arrested, have him committed. Let's take him into custody. That's what that text means, that sentence. So here's the question. How do we go from Mary... May your word to me be fulfilled in a conversation with an angel to this boy is outside his mind. Oh, it's easy to get from here to there because to faithfully serve means you have to ferociously submit. You have to 
give up control. Mary should have been an expert in that, but when you get into that cycle of life and that routine, and once you're comfortable, and once Jesus just becomes ordinary and normal. See, at some point, Joseph was out of the scene. We don't know whether he died or what exactly happened, but what we do know is Jesus, as the firstborn son, he would have been the one responsible for taking care of the family. But then all of a sudden, when the time is right, he's gone, training up disciples instead of putting food on the table. And Mary is like, well, we got to do something about this. Come on, kids. And they take the 30-mile trek from Nazareth to Capernaum, which that's no easy task in and of itself. 30 miles is no joke. I have a 30-mile race coming up here in October, and I've already started training. So you've got to be fairly committed to an idea to start walking 30 miles one way. But is this not the exact same thing that we do? We go to great lengths to tell Jesus what we do and do not believe. Jesus, you don't need 10% of my income. I serve you. That is my tithe. Me showing up every single week is my... Jesus, I put in my time parenting. You don't need me serving over in kids' ministry. That would be crazy. I work 80 hours a week. Jesus... I get to hear the Bible on Sunday. What do I need to be reading the Bible during the week for? And like Mary, we're lulled into a state of complacency and we forget who Jesus really is. In fairness, John the Baptist did the same thing. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago, how the story of Jesus doesn't start in a manger. It starts with a messenger, that being John the Baptist. And John's whole existence centered around the idea of getting people ready to meet Jesus. And he was so committed to that mission that he lived in the desert, ate locusts, and wore camel hair clothes. Y'all ever touched a camel before? They're gross, okay? We've seen them at the state fair. The kids want to ride them. They're all coarse and scratchy, and you don't want to touch them. We're so pampered in this country, our T-shirts come with tags that rip right off so they don't scratch your neck. And this brother's out here in the desert wearing Brillo pads for Jesus, and after a couple days of being in prison, he tells one of his friends, go ask Jesus, is he really the one that we're looking for, or should we be looking for another? J to the B. Come on, man. Weeks earlier, you confessed Jesus as the Savior of the world. John 1, 29 records your words as saying, Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yet just like any of us, the moment we feel like God has left us somewhere alone, somewhere we don't deserve to be, we doubt. The moment we feel like God has given us more than we can handle, we begin to wonder, God, are you really there? Is this really true? How about Peter, the guy who arguably recorded this for us, this story? We all know the time that he doubted, but what about the time that he thought Jesus was crazy? The time where Jesus says, I'm about to die. The Romans are going to kill me. And Jesus, or Peter takes him aside away from the other disciples, and he rebukes Jesus. Jesus, what are you talking about? You're going to die? Not as long as I'm here with you. Not as long as I'm around. So Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Moments before, Peter just confessed Jesus is Lord. So this escalated quickly. And all of this happens when our expectations of Jesus don't line up with what he's actually doing. When Jesus doesn't do what we think he should, he's the crazy one. Yet all of us are represented here in this story by Jesus' family. We are 
the ones coming to take charge of him, coming to remind him what he should be doing instead of what he came to do. But like I said, you can think Jesus is crazy and still serve him faithfully. The question then is how? How do we serve him faithfully even when we think he's crazy? Well, number one, you might write this down. We must remember he is God and we are not. He is God and we are not. You got to get to the point in life where you realize there is no middle ground. Jesus' exact words were, you're either for me or against me. And people like to say, well, I like Jesus of the New Testament. I like his teachings and his philosophy, and he's very loving and caring. But that God of the Old Testament, and if God is loving, how could he do? He would have never done that. What about this whole jealous God thing? I can't believe in a God who's jealous. And in response, well-meaning Christians are constantly apologizing for things God has never asked our permission on. And since the beginning of time, people have been trying to explain a God who is unexplainable. You ever heard about a guy named Job? Job was the richest man on the planet. He had everything. Money, houses, a large family, servants to supply all of their needs. Plus, Job worshiped God. And the uh, Bible tells us that God allowed Satan to take all those things away. Job loses all of his money. His houses are destroyed. His kids are killed. The servants are also... Job's health becomes a wreck and all of it is attacked. And his friends come over and are like, what'd you do? Not so much here or here, but like right here. What did you do, Job? And God would never allow these things to happen to you unless you did something horrible. And for 40 chapters, God allows uh, his friends, Job's friends, and his wife to say stupid, horrible things to Job and give him horrible advice. And God says nothing. And then in about chapter 38, God shows up and he says to the friends, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. By the way, Job, you're also wrong. Hey, late friend who showed up to the party way after it started, you're also wrong. And then he leaves. That's all God says. And you're left to wonder, what in the world? God never explains himself. He never says, hey, here's why I was doing these things. Hey, Job, I know you lost all of your money, but I'm going to return it all. And this is what's going to happen. And here's how I was actually working for your benefit. And I was doing all this behind the scenes. Here's why I allowed that. God never explains himself. You know why? Because he is, help me, God, and we are not. He is God and we are not. Look, if you want a God who always fits into your agenda and your paradigm, you don't want a God. You want a genie, somebody who's just going to do everything you want. Furthermore, if you have a God who always fits into your agenda and your paradigm, you don't have a God, you have a mirror because you're the one that's actually controlling everything in your life. Follow your truth. Live your best life now. You're God. And this is exactly what gets people into trouble. It's what got Adam and Eve in trouble. The tempter comes along to them and says, hey, you can be like God, except they already were like God, made in his image. Point being, there's a difference between living for God and trying to be like God. And I hope you know that the beginning of wisdom is not a deep understanding of the Bible. The beginning of wisdom isn't even a deep understanding of Jesus. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And that doesn't mean that God is an unpredictable God or a scary God. It means his ways are higher than our ways. So, of course, God is going to sound crazy. Why would you want to serve a God you could fully understand? Again, that would make you God. And trust me, you are a crummy God. 
Because just the other night, you burned microwave popcorn, and it made the whole house smell horrible. And the kids were like, we're not eating this. And I was like, maybe maybe that was just me. But if we can't do the small things, right? You know, he's God. We're not. Number two, God's plan is always the best plan. God's plan is always the best plan. Remember, when Jesus seems crazy, God's plan is always the best plan. People always want to ask me, well, why did God allow this? And why does God allow that? And how could God's plan include kids dying and the Holocaust and the coronavirus and the cancer and Ted Bundy? And I don't know. I know God's plan initially did not include any of that. God's initial plan was perfect. It was flawless. And then freedom of choice jacked all that up. So sure, God created the potential for those things to happen, but I'm quite sure and confident that God did not will those things to happen. We did that. But either way, God is not a cosmic consultant. See point number one. It's why the author of Proverbs writes, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. What's that word? Submit to him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. There's our phrase again. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So when God says stuff like, you should return the first 10% of your income to me, we call that a tithe, a tenth part. And when God says you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, and when God defines marriage as being between one man and one woman for a lifelong commitment, and when God says the only way to come through me is through my son Jesus, and God says I want you to live a life humbly, he's not changing his mind on that stuff. He's not going, well, I didn't see 2020 coming. And let's update everything in this book because the Americans are clearly way more knowledgeable than I thought they were going to become. And back when we were just throwing spears and wearing loincloths, I could never have predicted the coronavirus and what the Americans would do. You know, and so listen to me. You're not the exception to the rule. Your life is not somehow miraculously different than everybody else's that you don't have to submit, as our Proverbs text said, to the rules and instructions in this book. That's why God said, lean not on your own understanding. Why are you trusting your feelings? My feelings just a number of years ago told me I should lay around and eat Cheetos all day and marry Topanga from Boy Meets World. And suddenly I'm supposed to be the expert in making decisions for my future, right? And your feelings have lied to you too. So I'm going to need some godly wisdom and godly advice because God's plan is always the best plan. Which leads me to point three. Sometimes the right response will bring the wrong result. Sometimes the right response will bring the wrong result. Surely you've learned that by now. You can do everything right And the wrong thing will happen anyway. Stock market crash of 08, anyone, right? You did everything you were supposed to do. You worked hard. You always paid your mortgage on time. You invested wisely. And you still lost thousands of dollars. Remember our boy Job? Job did everything right. In fact, Job 1.1 says, In the land of Uz, 
I so wish that said Oz, but it doesn't. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God, like Proverbs told us to do, and he shunned evil. God even confirms this about Job just a few verses later when the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So how do we rectify that fact that Job did everything right? He's blameless, righteous, does, fears the Lord, everything we're supposed to do with what we know happens to Job. Sometimes the right response will bring about the wrong result. Now, I'm not saying that's an easy truth to understand. I'm just saying that's true. It's what the Bible teaches. In all honesty, people have struggled with this since the beginning of time. Even Jesus' own disciples came up to him and was like, why is this dude blind? Who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus is like, nobody sinned. Uh, he's just blind the, because bad things happen, because the world is broken. It's why I'm here. I've come to set all of this right. You know, I'm ashamed to admit this, but how many times I've thought even to myself, God, you realize I'm on your team, right? You realize New Anthem Church was created to bring you glory and try and transform people's lives to make your name famous. And then the last week, the AC goes out. And it's literally a million degrees in here. And I'm contemplating on whether or not I should change my entire sermon on whether or not we need to talk about why you don't want to go to hell because this is rather what it feels like. And I'm even the stupid robot projector back here is like, I'm out of here. Like, it's way too hot. I'm powering down and it's not worth it. And when my point is, when you're following Jesus, you can do the right thing and you can still get the wrong result. And when that happens, you're going to question Jesus. And you're going to feel like he's crazy, like John the Baptist did, like Jesus' mother did, like Paul did when he was put into prison. And you've got to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus. Because bad things happen. And you just got to keep fighting and doing the right things. And eventually... Maybe not even in this life. Eventually, God will make things right. Here's what else you need to know is true. God often takes a long time to do what we want him to do quickly. Write that down. God often takes a long time to do what we want him to do quickly. See, even if Romans 8.28 is true and all things do work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, sometimes that takes longer than we want it to. And it took Noah 70 years to build an ark from the time God commanded him to to the time it was completed. And for 70 years, he was made fun of and people ridiculed him. And he's like, it's never going to end. Rained in 65 years here. Joe well, hadn't rained ever, but since he started building And uh, King David was anointed king and it took 15 years from the time he's anointed as king to the time he actually sat on the throne 15 years of running in the wilderness trying not to get killed and just doing what he thought was right on the run abraham over 100 years old when he finally had the son 25 years a minimum after god promised him a son so can i just encourage you with the words of paul that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion, Philippians 1.6 tells you. And Galatians says that at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. 
You can't give up. God often takes a long time to do what you think you should do quickly, but your timetable is not the same as his. It's why I also need to let you know, number five, in the end, we win, guaranteed. In the end, we win, guaranteed. It's why I like that when Jesus' family shows up and they tell him to quit preaching, he's like, well, who's my family? Whoever does God's will is my family. Whoever keeps following me is my family. That's how you know you win. Because you're part of Jesus' family. You're adopted as sons and daughters of God the Father. You win. Guaranteed. Maybe this will help. This is the best example I could think of. You remember how last year in the playoffs, the Chiefs were losing to the Texans 24-0, the very first round, and you're like, it's over. What's the point? This is a crushing defeat. Nobody comes back from 24-0 to in the first quarter. And then the 28th point second quarter happened and you're like this is the greatest comeback in the history of the world and you're right it was it was the greatest thing that ever happened in all of time and the same thing is true in your life why are you looking at the scoreboard in the third quarter when you still got a whole other quarter to play when jesus breaks through in the second half there's about to be a comeback you win guaranteed with jesus you know what else is true 400 years from now, when you're up in heaven, in paradise, you're never going to think to yourself, I'm so bummed I did what Jesus asked me to do. I'm so mad that I served and sacrificed and gave and was generous. This whole eternal life thing, just doing amazing things forever and ever as part of Jesus' family, it's just totally not worth it. No, you're never going to think that. So there's this dude in your Bible. His name's Paul. You've probably heard of him. He changed his name from Saul. He had to go through a lot in life. In 2 Corinthians 11, it tells us that five times he received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. They had it down to a science because if you got 40 lashes plus one, you'd bleed out. And so they needed 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, just bobbing around, floating out there, praying to God some shark didn't come snatch him up. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger of the city. You starting to see a pattern? In danger of the country. Can't go anywhere. In danger at sea. In danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone often without food. I've been cold and naked. You know what he said just before that? He said, for our light and momentary troubles. Light and momentary. This brother, he'd been shipwrecked out in the sea. One time he floated off the shipwreck, landed on the island, tried to make a fire. A snake snatches onto his hand. He's like, are you kidding me? The thing's more poisonous than the tribal people even knew. And they started worshiping him because he didn't die. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Here's the bottom line. Just like in our text, Jesus is at work preaching to a group of people 
The question before you now is, will you join him in his work? Or will you, like his family, try and take him into custody? Like his family, Jesus has just become too ordinary to you. You've forgotten who he is and the work that he's trying to do. Will you join him? Or will you arrest him? Write this down and then we're done. Always judge God's craziness by the cross and the promise of eternity, not by today and the pain. Always judge God's craziness by the cross and the promise of eternity, not by today and the pain. Yes, you're going to have pain. Yes, you're going to have struggle. Yes, this free nation might even end up persecuting us for our faith and shutting down our churches, but that just puts us in good company. I know it sounds crazy, but so does eternal life. So does forgiveness of sin. So does grace and mercy and love. And the only thing that God asks from you is belief. That's crazy. That God would love you so much that He would make a way for you to spend an eternity with Him. And it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Him. That's crazy. Which is why you have to judge God's craziness based on that promise, not the feelings that you have today. God, thank you for your word. Please help us now put into perspective the craziness that each one of us are facing in our lives. God, there's different situations even represented here this morning, and I'm sure people are even feeling at times, God, this is crazy. Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? But please encourage them with these words that uh, your, your way is the best way. That you're God and we're not. And that sometimes in life you call us simply to trust in you. And to forge our way as we keep following you. And that eventually you're going to take us to where we need to go. And so I'm praying for God those folks who are feeling this burden and pressure in life and they're needing a word from you and I'm praying that you encourage them and lift them up, but that they can judge the craziness in their life by the fact that you love them and care for them and made a way for them to live forever. God, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for grace and mercy and love and for the fact that we can be made right in your eyes that when you look down, you see your son Jesus. Thank you for the craziness that has nothing to do with our ability and everything to do with your son. And this is in his powerful name that we pray. Amen.